Before we get started with today's show, I want to tell you guys about betonline.ag. Welcome to 2022, everybody, even if I say the sports calendar doesn't reset till after the Super Bowl. It's a new year, and BetOnline remains the number one spot for all the best wagering action in the new year. You can sign up today and receive a 50% welcome bonus on your first deposit using the promo code BLEAVE. B-L-E-A-V, when you sign up with the link in the description to this episode. Bet online, where the game starts. afternoon or good night however and whenever it is you may be listening thank you for stopping into another fantabulous episode of the take it easy podcast live on the Believe Podcast Network, except it isn't live because it's a podcast. Welcome in, everybody. It is Thursday, January 13th, according to my count. May not be that according to your count, but we appreciate you stopping in anyways. It is now the lead-up to NFL Wildcard Weekend. I know I'd like to talk about how one-day stories usually aren't the stories that I like to do here, but I do really want to talk about wildcard weekend because even if a lot of these teams don't really matter in the grand scheme of things, the fact that they're in the playoffs is very fascinating and it's fascinating enough that I would like to get in on this action for the next three days and recap it on Sunday with Wired Up getting into this wildcard weekend and we kick that off with the gambling preview for the week with our friend Razor Rosenthal, and you can check out him at Beer Life Sports and at Beer Life Official and on his Instagram. He gives picks, uh, especially for tennis. He's very good at this gambling analysis. He's up a bunch of units this year. I can't remember exactly what the number is now, but you should check out his picks. You should check out his expertise because this guy is making a moderate living at gambling, and he is more than happy to provide his expertise here with us. And he's been a great friend of the show for over a year now. This is our second postseason going into the NFL picks. So without further ado, let us welcome Razor Rosenthal for our NFL wildcard gambling preview, which is another way to help preview these fun games and also Steelers Chiefs. I'm doing well. How are you, man? I am doing fantastic here today. Uh, how'd you do gambling on the national championship? Well, you know, my original, you know, way to approach this game was on your show. Took the Georgia Bulldogs on the money line. And then I was said, I'm going to probably sprinkle in the Alabama Crimson Tide against the spread. The good news is I pulled away from that. Uh, I just went Georgia money line, then we went live on Georgia when they were down uh, in the first half. 
So very, very good result there. Uh, the reason I pulled away from the Alabama ATS, just a lot of public money coming in on Alabama, moving that line late from three to two and a half. I was kind of hoping for the opposite, Kyle. I was hoping that, you know, maybe there'd be some some public money coming in on Georgia against the spread to push that up to three and a half. And maybe I could even buy it up, pay a little more for four, four and a half. It never happened. And it went the other way. So I just held my bet. I held with Georgia uh, and I, and I stayed very strong to that. I'm like, you know what? If Georgia doesn't turn the ball over, they're going to win this game. And of course they massive turnover in the middle of the third quarter that they got a little scared there for for Georgia backers but at the end of the day uh, the better team won not necessarily the better coach team but the better overall roster won the game it's so funny that you said that because I was going on a text chain during the game a little bit and I said when it was I want to say it was at the time 12 to gosh I can't remember maybe Georgia was at well they scored six maybe it was tied at that point but I said basically Georgia wins the game if Stetson Bennett doesn't turn the ball over and then Stetson Bennett does turn the ball over and now Georgia's down by seven points or six I think it was six points at the time maybe five Georgia was down by five they were down by five yeah so Georgia held a 13-12 lead when Stetson Bennett turned the ball over and then Alabama uh, got six failed on two-point conversion yeah that's what it was because in my mind I was saying wait Bryce Young failed a two-point conversion but why would they go for two if it was a six-point game so it was a five-point game then and just force of habit was telling me in my head like this is where Georgia falls apart and Alabama is going to run out the clock and they're going to kick a field goal and even when Bennett throws that touchdown in my mind I'm still saying this is where Alabama goes and kicks a field goal and they go up 21-19 and it, it wasn't that at all and like you said better team wins the game for sure it's just you know force of habit to think that Alabama is going to be the better team more often than not but once you get to that game both teams were ridiculously talented and Alabama lost you know pretty much their entire offense coming back this year and then also losing John Mechie and losing uh, Jamison Williams at the end, and they just kind of like ran out at the end. So you, holding firm on Georgia was probably the best idea, even when they were down, what was it, 9-6 at halftime or 9-3 right before that? Holding strong on Georgia seemed to be the right uh, call. They, yeah, only down 9-6 at the half, and you got really good value on uh, Georgia money line at halftime. They basically were even money, and I, I just really couldn't turn that down. I know that Alabama, in a normal circumstances, healthy, their personnel could certainly wear them down. But I think Georgia realized that, okay, you know, the wide receiving core of Alabama is depleted. We just have to stop the run. We, we, we have to figure out a way to stop the running game. And they did for the most part. It got a little scary there in the third quarter when Alabama was able to run the ball, matriculate down the field a little bit, showed signs of life. But the Georgia defensive front uh, just had that one drive where Alabama really should have punched it in, and they only and they only uh, and they only made it to the field goal range where it ended up being blocked. And that's where I felt like, no matter what's going to happen now, that is that is devastating for Alabama, uh, a team that was moving the ball down the field where they started at their own two, and they got it down to I believe the Georgia twenty-eight to thirty-two yard line, and the field goal was blocked. And that's when I felt really good about my wager. Alabama finished the game with, I believe, 32 rushing yards on the entire game, which is pretty remarkable because Alabama obviously has all of these gigantic human beings. And, you know, Brian Robinson was an interesting case because I didn't know much about him coming into this year. But after they had like 
eight NFL running backs come through the team in three years. And one of my favorite moments of the national championship was seeing Alvin Kamara hanging out on the Alabama sideline. I thought that was funny because he was the fourth string running back on one of those Saban teams that I don't even think won the championship. I think they lost in the championship game during the Alvin Kamara season. And with all those guys, eventually the, the well just kind of dried up a bit. And it was, you know, walk on from Tuscaloosa, Brian Robinson, who had an awesome season, but against a Georgia front seven that was bigger, stronger, faster, mostly four and five star guys. It, it just didn't work out running the football this time. Not like it, like it worked out the first time they played. It just didn't work out this time the way it's always, or at least happened in every other game for Georgia this season. Yeah. I think you also have to factor in that, you know, especially first half when Menchie was available uh, in, in the SEC championship. And of course, Williams was available throughout the whole game. Georgia had to, you know, not completely sell out to the run, which I think they did in this game. So that that really helped them out, knowing that they had two wide receivers out of the game for Alabama as we approached the, you know, when was the middle of the second quarter, whenever that injury, you know, took place. So there was a lot of luck involved there. I think I think Alabama, with both of those wide receivers, a full go for four quarters, probably tilts them to maybe a, a, a field goal favorite, a full six-point swing, because you saw early on, you know, Georgia was, was on their – Heels. Now they did, they got some really good red zone stops, but at the end of the day, you know, there was a little bit of scare in that first quarter, especially Georgia playing on ice skates uh, for a, a, a bit of time. But I just felt like the personnel and the depth of Georgia uh, was better than Alabama all year long. You know, Alabama went through a lot of peaks and valleys. I mean, they, they, you know, they escaped some pretty bad teams. They, they escaped an Auburn team that just wasn't very good, and they should not have won that game. They A lot of luck went their way uh, in that Alabama game. They lost to a very average Texas A&M team who, you know, we saw throughout the season, you know, struggled to beat decent teams, you know. So, you know, Alabama, you know, may, may, may have had one really impressive game this year that, that, that really blew my mind when they absolutely annihilated Ole Miss. But other than that, I felt like the personnel of Georgia was too strong, and they got it done. So it was a – it wasn't the best year for me, Kyle, when it came to college football handicapping, but it was a great end of the year with these New Year's six-day bowls and the national title that uh, did pretty well. Well, you talk about all the time how you handicap money lines overwhelmingly, and this season I saw the stat at the end of the year that 50 ranked teams lost to unranked teams at some point during the season, which was the most in the history of the poll era. So this is the year we're picking money lines in college football, which is usually a, a good bet. Like we talked about that one Ohio state, Michigan state game where Michigan state was a 17 point underdog, which is the equivalent of like Jacksonville against the Patriots from a couple weeks ago. Like money line bets are usually more successful in college football than anywhere else. It's just, this was a weird year in college football and maybe the college football landscape is changing because we're in probably the, most changing time in the sport of the last 30 to 40 years with name, image, and likeness transfer portal, more rights going to players. And maybe that's part of the changing tide that it's going to create more parity for teams, you know, 12 through 40 in college football. But this was just a weird year. Like there were just a lot of weird, wacky upsets all throughout uh, college football. So I imagine that this year would be a rough year towards the end. It was a rough year, and I could tell you that I can't emphasize this enough. As I came on 
your podcast probably the first week of September. And I remember that Nebraska Illinois game, which was just you know one of those you know it was the, uh, the the first week of the year. What do they call it? Week zero. Week zero. Uh, I, I, They're doing that yeah. again next year. The first game next year is Northwestern in Nebraska. Week zero in Ireland. So they're doing it for the second year in a row with Nebraska on the first they, week of the season. Well, they must love Nebraska for some reason. But you know, I emphasize this and and. You go into week zero through week four, week five in college football. There's a lot of parity. These teams are not prepared. So many transfers. Continuity is not there. And if you went heavy on money line parlays week one through week five through week six, you really probably got burnt. But if you are a gambler that has a lot of discipline and you only pick maybe one or two max per day, Maybe you found the right pieces, but if you went three to five different wagers, boy, you got burnt because these teams that are supposed to be good, they just weren't. So uh, lesson learned 2021 for next year in 2022 in the fall, wait it out, bet small, be persistent, watch the field each weekend, get an idea of where you want to put your big money units on. And that probably should transpire on, you know, I know people want it. They want a pet, but just have to wait till around Halloween to do it. Well, it's so difficult to predict sports as a whole. Like if it were easy, then we wouldn't have this entire industry around sports gambling because everyone would be able to be an expert on it. That's right. <laughs> yeah, it, it's kind of it's kind of remarkable how that works out. And college football is such a weird sport, too, in the first place. Um, <laughs> this is a, something you said a couple you know, questions ago or a couple points back and forth that I wanted to circle back to to transition into NFL wildcard weekend is I was watching that game where Georgia at a certain point just rushed five on every single play because Alabama couldn't establish the run. And I was watching that. I'm just like, oh, that's Arizona, just do that against Matthew Stafford. Just blitz five every single time against Matthew Stafford. And that's going to be your hope of winning the game with a less talented roster and injuries all over the field. And now they lose, you know, Robert Alford and Hopkins probably won't play. And JJ Watts miraculously back all of a sudden and no Max Williams and two of their guards are hurt. And I'm just watching. I'm just like, just blitz five every single time. Just do what Georgia did against Bryce Young and just force Stafford to do something stupid. That was my big takeaway from the championship headed into Wild Card Weekend. Yeah, we could start with the Rams and Arizona, two teams that really underperformed uh, this Sunday, and and I would say Arizona more so underperformed. The Rams looked just phenomenal for you know, the whole first half, maybe the, the end of the, the end of the half is where the momentum turned when San Francisco got that field goal and they really shouldn't have LA just kind of felt like they laid down and let San Francisco drive to, to kick the ball, you know, through the uprights and now make it a two possession game down 17, three, but you know, Arizona is a bad football team and they're a bad football team at home. So, you know, this game is really difficult to figure out. And you're absolutely right. If if Arizona can somehow get home and get pressure on Stafford, they're in for a long day. But I'll tell you what, um, the one thing I when I watch Kyler Murray in 2021, especially week like 10 and beyond, he is running the other direction. He's running east, west, and he's running south. He's not running north. You know, he is in trouble a lot. And that offensive line is really struggling. So I don't know how they hold up 
against this L.A. Rams defensive front. I don't think home field matters at all in this game. You hear Matt Stafford's quote that it was a little difficult out there to compete with all the Niners fans at his own stadium. This game is ugly, but I, I, I am going to use the same theory as I did with the San Francisco game where we went one and one, we lost the money line. Honestly, Kyle, I think we had the right play with the Rams money line and San Francisco against the spread. That was set up for a, a really nice three point, four point win. If, if, if LA can just hold on and they, they just couldn't do it. Uh, I'm going to do the same thing. I'm gonna go with the Rams money line. I, I think that I don't trust Stafford, but I don't trust Kyler Murray, but I, I, I feel like this game could be close. I hope the Rams win by four or less. I'm going the Rams money line and I'm going Arizona plus four and a half on the same wager. I know that you're more into the the gambling side and less so like the pro football focus X's and O's type of stuff, but I can't figure out why this Shanahan McVay thing exists. Like I know like Kyle Shanahan is the person who's won six in a row against McVay and only you could argue two of the times was his team more talented than the Los Angeles Rams. And they, Sean McVay was 45 and 0 when he has a lead at halftime and they're up 17 0 and then it falls apart at the end. I just I I know that it exists and unless it's just like pure random chance, I I don't understand why it is that it's happening. So I don't know if you have any insight on why it is or if it's just, you know, something that we we don't see that other people do, I suppose, or can try and explain away why Kyle Shanahan for some reason that scheme is so effective against Sean McVay. Yeah, that's probably, you know, out of my pay grade to give you a great explanation of, you know, diving into that and getting into the weeds why Shanahan is so successful uh, against him. I I really don't know. McVay is a fantastic coach. I I felt like, you know, the Rams, they they, they completely just collapsed. And I I think it's really uh, on McVay's offensive strategy there. You know, I think they could have ran the ball a little bit more, taken the ball away from Matt Stafford, put a little bit less pressure on him you know, give yourself a chance with Cam Akers, who's back, Sony Michelle, just, you know, figure this out, maybe some dump screens. Just, you know, I think, I think it was just bad coaching. And I think he'll make that, I think he'll make adjustments against Arizona. Uh, but you're right. I, I, it's a, it's a weird dynamic how Shanahan completely owns this team. And I, I think that the Rams are, are happy that they're not playing San Francisco on uh, Saturday, Sunday, or Monday. They got away with that one. So in the case of the 49ers, because they're playing against the Cowboys this week, I would say that this one feels like the Cowboys are certainly the better team. But then I look at matchups in the same way. I'm like, Cowboys are going to struggle to stop the 49ers offense. And I'm tempted. I'm interested to see what you have to say about this game, because I think the line is somewhere around four and a half. I haven't checked recently. I saw it right after on Sunday, but I'm interested to see where you go with this game because if I was looking for one, oh, it's down to three now. It's down to three for yeah. the Cowboys. Uh, Interesting. I got to. I got to be honest with you. This is my favorite uh, play when it comes to value on the board. I, I love Dallas here on the money line. I just there's just too much love for San Francisco here after their incredible second half performance. Dallas, you know, are you going to get the Dallas on Thanksgiving who just looks terrible and just gets blasted by Las Vegas? Are you going to get the Dallas from Sunday night football three weeks ago when they destroyed the Washington football team? I don't have an answer for that. But what I do have an answer for is that most square bettors see a Dallas team that is average throughout a few weeks. And then you have San Francisco who has pulled off uh, somewhat of a playoff miracle navigating their way through the last couple of weeks. 
I trust Dak Prescott and I trust, uh, excuse me, Dak Prescott. And I trust what we're seeing on the Dallas defensive side more so than I trust Jimmy G. And sometimes those large pass interference calls that San Francisco has given up all season long. Think about guys like Lamb and Cooper who are going to go with those large 20, 30 uh, yard routes. And then whether they catch it or not, there's going to be some pass interference calls. Indianapolis did that to perfection. I believe uh, a couple other teams uh, followed suit. So I like Dallas here. You know, you know, the history shows that you shouldn't trust Dallas in, in, in these important games, but I think, I think they're better than San Francisco overall. I think their defense is better. I think the running game is better, especially if Pollard is available. I'm going I'm going Dallas money line. It's going to be a big play for me, Kyle. I know it's early in the week, but does it mean anything to you that 80% of the bets money line are already coming in on Dallas and it's only like minus 160 or 180 I think for Dallas at this point? Yeah, it, it it we don't know. Yeah, and that's hard to tell right now. I have to look at that and see if that's uh pu- if, if that's public money or is that is that is that is that sharp money because sometimes you're looking at 80% of of sharp money meaning money is on Dallas, but there's a high ticket count where bets are coming in on San Francisco money line meaning average Joe better who bets 10 to $25 a game, uh that may be flipped where they're take they're betting a higher percentage than than the money is so i'm trying to explain this hopefully i'm doing a good job but if it's 80 percent of money and let's say 70 percent of bets 80 percent of the money on dallas 70 percent of the bets on san francisco i like what i'm seeing there. that means smart people with uh with with bigger budgets are betting on the cowboys and of course this could go the wrong way and the result could go san francisco but i like going against uh the percentage of where more bets are going that means average joe public better is dominating the board there and they're putting their money on the Niners money line. Um, I'll definitely look at it. I think it matters. I really do, Kyle. I think you always want to be with either where the large sharp money is or where the books, what, or the result that the books need. So I'll look at that, but my, and I have not made one play yet. So I'm waiting on this, but my initial reaction was, okay, I don't think San Francisco is that good. I'm going to take Dallas at this value and I want to pound it hard. So we'll see. Let, let, let's see. It's a good point you make. Let's see what those true percentages are. You can find that on a variety of websites. I use, you know, scoresandodds.com. Typically, it's going to give me a really good ratio of where it's supposed to be. So I'll probably check that on Thursday or Friday before making my bet. And you know, the 49ers point is interesting because I've been saying all year that there's only five good teams in the NFC, and now there might only be four because Arizona just got hurt at the end of the season so bad. And Dallas has like been really good this year. You can point and explain even the losses that Dallas has had throughout the season. You can kind of explain away a lot of the Dallas losses throughout the season and I think that they're good enough to get there. It's just the problem for them is when they have to go on the road to Tampa next week. That's just Tampa's got talent all over the field and a quarterback that makes fewer mistakes and all of that stuff that makes it just a, a really hard matchup. But I, I tend to lean with you on that, that Dallas is just a better team than San Francisco because San Francisco even still was down seven one minute to go, no timeouts against the Rams on Sunday, and they would have been out of the playoffs if not for that. So, yeah, Jimmy Garoppolo with apparently uh, his ligament ripped off of his bone in his thumb is going to be more trusted than Trey Lance going into this playoff game. And I, I, I tend to go with you on the Cowboys for that one. 
Um, do we have to talk about Eagles and Bucks? Is there anything interesting there from a gambling standpoint? Well, I think that the Eagles are the better Pennsylvania team. Uh, I think I think Pittsburgh is is really terrible. It, it's painful to watch them matriculate the ball down the field. Now, going back to your Tampa Philadelphia question, Philadelphia covered the number the last time they played in that bizarre Thursday night football game. Oh, that's right. Uh, back Nikki backdoors. Yeah. That's right. They yeah. were down like 18 yeah. and then Nick Sirianni scored like two touchdowns in a row or something. That's right. Yeah. I think, I think, you know, it's pretty obvious how you beat Tampa Bay. We we've talked about this and, you know, in nausea, how bad the secondary is and they don't give up too many, you know, you know, yards on the ground and, the Philadelphia is running team, right? You know, they'll have three running back rotation, with Scott, with Howard, with Sanders. And of course, Jalen Hurts can run the football very well. So they're going into Tampa strength, which is, you know, we're a run team. We like to control the clock. Uh, they, they don't have any threats at all. I mean, you know, Smith is really good, but is he ready for prime time to make an impact play? I don't trust Quez Watkins. I don't trust Rager. Uh, I, this is this is a Tampa play that you have to add into some sort of money line parlay. You know, it's a little rich for my blood, and I'm sure for many people, just to single out Tampa Bay here and lay whatever it may be minus five fifty or minus six hundred. So you're gonna have to you know pair them up. My first initial thought was pairing them up with Buffalo, but I haven't put that together yet. Uh, Tampa Bay against the spread is, you know, at home, they're really good, Kyle. They're, except for the New Orleans Saints game, they've been covering these large numbers at home. So I have a small lean on Tampa Bay. It's, it's not a play that I love against the spread. Haven't even looked at the total yet, but boy, I mean, the Philadelphia Eagles are playing right into the strength of Tampa, which is we need to run the ball and it's just not going to work very well in my opinion. Well, you mentioned like minus 500, minus 600 for a parlay, but according to our friends at bet online, it opened at 420 for Tampa and now is down to 380 early in the well, week. So. Well, I stand, I stand, I stand corrected. Then I think, I think people are, are, are probably looking at this is good value. Philadelphia has won several games in a row. I don't count last week's game against Dallas. So if you look at the, the sample size of weeks, you know, 12 to 17, Philly may have won every game or only lost one, but they're beating, they're beating up bad teams. So, now the value is really on the Tampa money line, in my opinion. You would be absolutely foolish not to, you know, jump on them and 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 maybe even add them with Kansas City. But you're still going to pay a, a big price tag for both of those teams together. So perhaps look at Buffalo, New uh, Buffalo, Tampa. But we'll get into that game I'm sure at some point here. Yeah, I mean, you mentioned Pittsburgh there in the game against Kansas City. That game is a 13-point spread, which is ridiculous in the playoffs. A 13-point spread for a playoff game is crazy at this point. But yeah, uh, Chiefs are going to absolutely destroy Pittsburgh. Uh, Which one is more disappointing for you, that the Colts didn't make the playoffs or the Chargers didn't make the playoffs? Because on the surface, the Colts' path to missing the playoffs was way more of a collapse but if the Chargers had won, they would have played the Chiefs in that wild card game. And that is kind of disappointing from just a football fan standpoint that you don't get to watch Herbert versus Mahomes play a third matchup in the playoffs. But which one to you was the more disappointing that you don't get to watch in the playoffs? Well, from a quarterback perspective, it's obviously Herbert. Carson Wentz is a pretty big disappointment, uh, as he has been you know, most of his career. 
Uh, from an overall team perspective, I think Indy. I wanted to see Indy over LA. I think I think the Indianapolis defense at times has been unbelievable. They have more Pro Bowlers than any other team. They have perhaps the best running back in the NFL. I think they would have given Kansas City some problems. I don't know if that's exactly who they would have been matched up based on what, what went down on Sunday. I wanted to see Indianapolis in the playoffs. I didn't want to see them play my Buffalo Bills, you know, as a fan. But I think that team probably should be should go down, Kyle, as the most disappointing team to not make the playoffs that had the opportunity to do so in a two-week span. They closed as a nine-point favorite against Las Vegas at home, closed as a 14-and-a-half-point favorite against, you know, one of historic, historically one of the worst teams in NFL history, and it wasn't even competitive. You know, you know, sometimes you lose in that last-minute, you know, field goal or a fluky interception or fumble that cost the game. Never, never had a chance. Never in the game. Carson Wentz fumbles, interceptions all over the place. I don't think Jacksonville did anything to win the game. Indianapolis just lost it. Uh, Jonathan Taylor, by the way, this is going to be an interesting stat uh, or prop, I should tell you, uh, that was remarkable on Sunday that not many people realized. Jonathan Taylor to score, uh, I think, was the largest money line in NFL history. Usually, like any time touchdown scores are about even money, maybe sometimes juiced to like minus 140, minus 150. Jonathan Taylor's anytime touchdown, I think, was minus 340. That's the largest prop in NFL history for a, an individual player to score, and it did not cash. Uh, so there, there were just a lot of bizarre situations, and I think the Indianapolis Colts are the more disappointing team. As far as the Chargers go, I mean, Herbert's fantastic. You know, at times, Austin Eckler was amazing. But, oh, I mean, if you're a Chargers fan, you know, the, the timeout situation, that, that's a little dicey there. I understand, you know, Staley's comment on saying, well, we knew they were going to run the ball. We wanted to get the right personnel in, and they did run the ball. So I, I get the whole timeout dynamic. But, um, you know, perhaps they, 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 they get even more yards if they don't call a timeout because they didn't have – you know, the right personnel in there for, for the running play ahead. But uh, I know I just went on a tangent there, but I, I would yeah, say of overall, course, the, I get yeah, it. overall the Indianapolis Colts I wanted to see in the playoffs. No, that, that is the more intriguing conversation for me than having to seriously analyze Steelers and Chiefs. It's more fascinating to talk about that, about the teams that aren't there because the Steelers are just not interesting at all. And the thing I find fascinating about that is how fitting is it that Justin Herbert just did wacky shit all over the place to bring them back into the game. And then it's the rush defense that ends up being the reason they don't make the playoffs. Like that's been the whole story of the chargers all season is defense couldn't get a stop, but the offense ends up bringing them back game after game after game. And they end up hanging around that 500 marker it, it reminds me a lot of those old school Atlanta Falcons teams from four years ago where they scored 30 points and their opponents got 30 points and they kept playing these toss up games. And yeah, I, I think it's just weird that the Chargers aren't there, but the Chargers issues are correctable. They just got to add talent on defense in the draft and bring in a couple more skill position players. I don't even know if they re-signed Mike Williams. That's obviously a more off-season-y type question, but Mike Williams is a free agent, and him and Eckler and Keenan Allen were like 61% of their offense or something this year. So, yeah, I don't know. The Chargers got to 
make some decisions there with those guys. But the, the Chargers issues I'd been saying for like eight weeks were roster based, like they needed better players. And that's something that they can't really fix until the offseason. They almost snuck in the playoffs anyways, though. Yeah, they have holes, but they are a really fun team to watch. And I, I think that the Chargers are in a good spot with their coach. And I, I, I don't blame him too much for that timeout call. And I, and I think I think that, you know, they lost the game um, maybe on the fourth and fourth and yard and a half at their own 18. That that risk reward was not there. That to me was a little too aggressive. So if you want to blame him for anything, blame him for that. I mean, it only cost them three points, but those were three points that they, you know, they, they didn't need to give up there. So, uh, you know, other than that, Chargers are a fun team to watch, but Indianapolis, man, boy, were they good from that, from after they lost to the Ravens, they really went on a tear. Um, you mentioned the, uh, right before you mentioned the Jonathan Taylor money line thing of the prop and not cashing. And it reminds me of my favorite gambling story, which is during the, uh, I think it was during the pandemic season in 2020. No, it couldn't have been because the division, it probably 2019 in 2019, the Detroit Tigers were playing at Houston, the Houston Astros in baseball. And it was the largest spread in the history of major league baseball. It was like minus 500 for Houston and plus 450 for the Tigers. It was like the largest single game line in the history of baseball and the Tigers won. (laughs) And it was, I was just like, that's baseball. That's just baseball for you. (laughs) You there, Kyle? Yep. I'm here. I got gotcha. you. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Sorry. 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 I didn't know if you lost connection because I saw the thing moving on your side, but I couldn't hear you. Uh, anyways, so um, that's enough Steelers and Chargers talk. Or sorry, uh, that's enough Steelers Chiefs talk. Instead of talking about that game, we'll talk about the Chargers because it's more interesting. Um, how about Raiders and Bengals? Anything interesting going on there? Yeah, I like the Raiders here as long as... Um, as long as they don't have a major letdown, I, I really think that they can compete with this number here at six and a half. So uh, my initial thought is a stay away game. Uh, that's one thing I, I am not going to play the Cincinnati money line. I may look at the Raiders against the spread at plus six and a half. Uh, I, I think that the Raiders will have no problem scoring on Cincinnati. I, I'm pretty confident in that. I, I think that the Raiders will score. And I'll think, I think they can keep it within that number. Uh, the Raiders' defense at times, obviously, the, the last five minutes of that game on Sunday night was atrocious, but they held L.A. in, in, in check, right? Uh, and they've held the last few teams they've played in check. So uh, Joe Burrow also scares me a little bit. I think he's going to be fine, but it's pretty obvious he has some sort of minor leg injury after what we saw transpire against Kansas city, something dicey in that last drive way uh, again uh, from a money line perspective on Cincinnati. I'm not going to pair them up with anybody, anything. If, if the Raiders can avoid the hangover excitement from what transpired on Sunday night, I think they come close to winning this game or winning it straight up. So uh, I'm leaning, I'm leaning Las Vegas plus the points, but probably won't have a decision on that till we get closer Saturday. 
If the Raiders would play the Titans in the second round, I'm going to be so upset that one of those teams makes it to the conference championship because neither of those teams belong here. (laughs) The Titans, I know, are okay. The Titans are better than the Raiders, but I just find it so weird that we're in a scenario where if your Buffalo or I'm yeah, if your Buffalo Bills beat the Patriots, then that means either the Titans, the Raiders, or the Bengals are going to make it to the AFC championship. I was, I was actually kind of surprised that you went for the Raiders, even on the money line with that one. Does that mean, uh, if it, is it still a stay away, even on the point line? Cause points are so hard to bet in the NFL. No, I, I actually, I'm not, I wouldn't take the Raiders on the money line. I would take them plus the points is what I said. So okay. um, I, I like, I like the Raiders plus the points in a close game. I don't have a, a good feel on who, you know, wins that game. You know, if, if, you, if you're going to say you have to pick a winner, uh, I'll take Cincinnati, but I'm not willing to lay that, that big number of whatever it may be, minus 250 or 270. You may, you may be looking at it, you know, at your screen. I haven't really dissected that game at all. And I haven't really dissected the money lines really on any of the games yet. But I know the spreads, and I know that the, the, the Bengals are laying, I believe, six or six and a half points. And that's where I kind of like the Raiders against the spread here and keep this game close. But there's a big if. There's a big if. You know, you just came off an emotional win. You have very little time off between Sunday night and Saturday. Cincinnati rested pretty much every key player. So they're coming off some nice rest. Uh, you know, I, I, I hope Cincinnati wins from a fan's perspective, because I think Cincinnati, Tennessee is going to be a really interesting matchup, you know, finesse versus, you know, grind it out with Derrick Henry kind of game. And I, I think, and I, th- I think the Raiders would give Tennessee problems too, you know, Tennessee and on it, look what happened to them in that Houston game. I mean, if you had Tennessee minus 10 or 10 and a half, just throwing up, you know, I mean, that that's a, ridiculous way to lose that game to give up 18 unanswered points and then let Houston come back and score right back after you took another 10 point lead. Um, Tennessee is a liability, I think on defense, but if, if Henry's around and they can have those five, six minute drives and wear the other team out, they'll be fine. But I think both Cincinnati or Vegas can give the problem. So um, eager to see Cincinnati, Tennessee more so. Davis Mills had like three of those games this year. Cause I remember we talked about the same thing when the Rams were up like 38 to zero on the Texans. And then they ended up scoring three touchdowns in a row to cover the spread. Like Davis Mills had a couple of those weird garbage time comebacks this year. The, the, the king of the backdoor cover went from Nick Sirianni to Davis Mills as the season kind of went on. Um, <laughs> I love that. Uh, you also said, Watching the Bengals play the Titans would be interesting because that would mean that you're already penciling in the Buffalo Bills victory and that they would go play the Kansas City Chiefs. But if the Patriots win, then the Patriots are going to play the Titans. So we we come to the epic conclusion. Your Bills Mafia for the second year in a row wins the AFC East and you get your reward is the Patriots. So Tell me what is yeah. the deal with yeah. your Buffalo Bills against the Patriots in the undoubtedly best game of the weekend? Yeah, Saturday night primetime. I think uh, everyone's really eager to see that game. And I think, you know, weather is going to be interesting. You know, we saw what happened on, on Monday night football about five, six weeks ago when, you know, Buffalo really struggled in, in that frigid game. Uh, the wind was really bad that game. I don't, I don't think you're going to see wind like you did 
six weeks ago. According to the current forecast right now, it will be eight mile an hour winds expected and eight degrees in Buffalo. No, no rain, no snow, but just eight degrees in Buffalo. Yeah. And that's where we kind of wanted to have the Chargers or Raiders, right? You think they, they, they would probably really suffer in eight degrees, not playing or practicing in that weather where the Patriots, they're going to be just fine in that weather. Um, I don't trust Mac Jones here. Um, I don't trust Josh Allen either. I mean, I, J- Josh Allen's been a <laughs> huge disappointment. And a lot of that is the fact that, again, they don't run the football. Um, and you're going to have to figure it out on Saturday night that the only way to beat the Patriots is just to run a little bit, to set up some passing, and Josh Allen's going to have to run the ball. He's going to have to run the ball as well. Singletary's going to have to step it up. Uh, I have confidence in the Bills to hopefully make that decision and run the ball more and be a little more effective with their run defense. Um, you know, Harris had, you know, an amazing game along with what everyone else on the running game, Bolden. And uh, I believe it's Stevenson, the, the other running back that, yep. that they have. So I, I think the bills, they did make those adjustments when they played in Foxborough three weeks ago. And now they have to just continue to, you know, rely on their run defense you know, let Mac Jones beat you, especially in eight degrees. Let him, you know, let him try to chuck it down the field. Mac Jones has not played in many games under 32 degrees. We saw what happened when he played in Orchard Park. He didn't really do anything. You know, the Bills kind of just let that game fall apart, you know, with red zone turnovers and, 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 and missed field goals. So I feel pretty good about Buffalo here, Kyle. I don't want to risk it, you know, the, the juice of whatever it may be, minus 200 alone. So let, let, let's go Buffalo and Tampa Bay together. I said that earlier. I think that's going to be the narrative for me is to say, okay, I don't want to lay Buffalo alone. So let's pair them up. So you're not getting as hurt by the juice. So, yeah, I, I feel good about the bills. I don't, I, I don't think I would feel great about laying, uh, you know, a four, four, four and a half on them. You know, that's a lot of points in this game. You're almost looking at a situation where I feel pretty good about going bills money line and New England plus four and a half as another option, kind of like what I want to do with Arizona LA. It's a cool scenario. You have two teams that are familiar with each other. It could and should be a close game. So another recommendation, if you don't want to go all in on Buffalo money line, go ahead and play the money line and then go ahead and take the other direction. So you're guaranteed to go one and one with the Patriots at plus four and a half. Uh, I l- wish the analysis would have ended on I don't trust Mac Jones. I also don't trust Josh Allen. That would just be perfect analysis going into this game. I'm like, all right, you get the idea of how the game is going. I found that fantastic right there. I don't know if you heard me chuckle behind the, the microphone there. Um, you mentioned the Singletary thing. And just from a, a pure football analysis standpoint, and less so the gambling side, I find the Singletary situation so fascinating because I still feel confident that if Buffalo had any kind of a solid run game that they would be the best team in the AFC last year. And they would have been maybe the best team in the AFC this year. Like if they had given up two first round picks for Dalvin cook, like there's no way to stop that offense. They just have, they can hit you in so many different ways to knock you out. And the last three games, Devin Singletary went from averaging, I think it was like seven carries a game early on in the season to 22 against the Panthers, 23 against the Falcons, 19 against the Jets. He averaged 
uh, about a hundred yards, just less than a hundred yards. It's like 91 and had four touchdowns in those last three games, obviously not great rush defenses in the Panthers, the Falcons or the jets, but the fact that they want to try and establish Singletary running the ball is a fascinating strategy because I drafted Devin Singletary on my fantasy team two years ago, and I've still been waiting for him to break out as an actual legitimate NFL running back. And I, at this point, I just assume it's not going to happen. I think that that's the way that they win is just by having not a one dimensional offense, but at the same time, it's really hard to run the football against the Patriots. So this is something that I think is a really fascinating chess game between how Buffalo's offense works against that Patriots defense, especially given it's going to be eight degrees. It's going to be like throwing a giant brick around the field for about three hours. And those dudes are going to be like shaking the stingers off their hands on these bullet passes from Josh Allen for three and a half hours. Yeah, I think you can. I, I think you make some great points there. I think that you, you, there, there are times where you, you can run on New England. Uh, Duke Johnson, who, whose career I thought ended two or three years ago, rushed for one seventeen, and you had Philip Lindsay, whose career I thought ended two years ago. You know, he ran for forty against the Patriots. The Patriots are they're a good defensive team, but they're they're a team that will give up the run if they're willing to sacrifice. You know, as, as we always talk about the, the narrative of we're going to take your best player out. Well, I think they, you know, did a pretty good job on Waddle. I know they gave up a touchdown. So, I mean, you look at Waddle's stats uh, on Sunday. Did they take him out of the game? They really did. So they gave up. They, 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 he went five for 27 with a touchdown, Kyle. So they take out the Waddle house, right? They take him out of the mix. But they give up the run. I've never heard in, in that. To, That's so good. The Waddle House? Yeah, I've so, never you know, heard they, the Waddle House. That's such a good nickname. <laughs> now, now you can use that one. So they, you, you, they, he always takes away a key player. So Saturday night's key player is not Devin Singletary. Saturday night's key player is more than obvious. The University of Maryland, Stefan Diggs. So why not give this a chance? Why not give Singletary a chance to not put so much pressure on Josh Allen, Singletary did not have a good game against the Patriots two weeks, three weeks ago, 39 yards and a touchdown. That's not getting it done. But Josh Allen threw the ball 47 times. I mean, that's remarkable. And, and Josh Allen had a good game. I mean, he had three touchdowns, no interceptions. Um, Diggs, you know, Diggs had a pretty good game too, seven for 85 and a touchdown. So, you know, it's really hard to figure out this Buffalo New England deal. Uh, I, I just don't think Mac Jones is is the guy that I'm going to feel really good about in this spot. And I'm, I'm going to just leap of faith, go with the Buffalo money line. And this is not a fan talking. This is just the, and it's kind of like Georgia, Alabama here. The better team is Buffalo, they are the better team. And I think you saw in a normal situation, you know, that game six weeks ago, five weeks ago, whenever it was on Monday Night Football, I'm sorry, that's just not normal circumstances with the with the wind gusts of whatever they were, 30, 35 miles per hour. I, I think even if it's frigid and there's very minimal wind like you alluded to, Bills are the better team. They should win this game. And they're lucky. They're lucky that I think they're playing uh, New England and not the Indianapolis Colts. Well, that was the thing we talked about when the Patriots-Bills game happened was if if Tyler Bass makes that kick from 32 yards instead of it going just to the right because of the wind, like even kicking into the wind, he could could have was like an inch away from making a kick from 32 yards. If that goes in, 
Buffalo wins the game because Buffalo doesn't have to go for it on that fourth and 14 where, you know, Cole Beasley ran the wrong route and it went incomplete at the end. Like they, they could kick a field goal again and maybe that field goal doesn't go in, but it changes the whole strategy of the game for Buffalo. Like they played the Patriots to a T in that ridiculously wild game anyways. So I think there's definitely some truth to that. Um, if you're the Patriots, do you just shadow JC Jackson with Stefan Diggs? And do you bring, I guess Phillips would be the safety. Do you just bring him down every time Diggs goes deep? Like, can the Patriots take away your best weapon just because they have such a strong number one corner like JC Jackson? Is that kind of the explanation for it? I suppose. I, I think, I think that I, I think JC Jackson's really good, but I don't, I don't think as long as there's no wind, I don't, I don't think he can go one-on-one with Diggs. I, I think Diggs is a top five wide receiver in the league. And I think that they're going to need some safety help. And I think that Belichick is smart enough to realize that. And when you, and when you, when you provide safety help, that's going to leave a little bit of open lanes in the middle of the field for, you know, guys like Dawson Knox, Isaiah McKenzie, Gabe Davis, because that can Cole Beasley. Uh, the running game opens up, but if you leave this one-on-one, you are these 30-yard plays, chunk plays, that they they haven't been super successful with. They're resulting into a lot of interceptions, like the Atlanta Falcons, who are a terrible defense. You saw their safety always helping out with those big throws. And I don't know how many interceptions did Josh Allen have against the Atlanta Falcons because they were just they were just going safety help every single time, every single time against uh, Stephon Diggs. So, um, I, I, you know what, scheming definitely not my thing, and and I'm, I'll leave that to Bill Belichick. But I have a feeling that that Diggs will not go off. Wouldn't recommend him in DFS for those playing in the playoffs and and FanDuel and DraftKings. I, I think there's going to be a bounty on on uh, Diggs where you're not letting him catch the ball. We're going to lose the game because of guys like Cole Beasley and Davis and Singletary. And I think, I think Diggs will struggle. You know, you mentioned Diggs as a top five wide receiver and he was kind of always like in that fringe conversation when he was on the Vikings. And then he got to Buffalo and last year he had that like ridiculous all time of a season. And it's only because the bills weren't the number two offense in the NFL this year that we don't talk about Stefan Diggs in the same way, but dude had the quietest 1200 yard season ever and had the most touchdowns in any season of his career with 10 this year. Like Stefan Diggs quietly had another ridiculous season. It just wasn't as ridiculous as last year. And so we just talk about it a little bit less because Buffalo wasn't surprising this year. It's, really amazing how good Stefan Diggs is at football. And we don't talk about him in the same way we talk about a lot of the top receivers in the NFL. Yeah, he really is. And you just, you just brought up a good point. Uh, undervalued there with the yards that he had this year, it goes under the radar because of other amazing, you know, receiver accomplishments, especially with Chase in the AFC. We talk about him. We talk about, uh, Justin Jefferson. We talk about the football nerd Cooper Cup. That's a uh, nickname given by John Hanson, the guru, by the way. Shout out to him. Best guy in fantasy sports. But yeah, I mean, the, the, it's tough when you have those three names I just alluded to. You know, they're always being talked about. So uh, Diggs, still a wide receiver one from a top five, top six perspective. Belichick likely will take him out of the game. So, you know, like I said, run the ball. Let's let's see if we can establish the run more often. And not just with your running backs, not just with Breed and Moss and Singletary. 
just let, let, let Josh take off more, you know, and, and see what happens. But uh, yeah, I think, I think the more intriguing game of the weekend is definitely Buffalo, New England. And uh, you know, for me, it's probably the Monday night game as well. I want to see these two teams that have really struggled at times in the month of December and January uh, collide and, and, and see which NFC West team prevails. Got to shoot for those ones. Cause like you said, Pennsylvania football is ruining 33% of our wildcard weekend this year by showing up and stinking up the joint as seven seeds. Uh, I, I petitioned afterwards that we should go back to the format of giving the two seeds a first round buy and just skip the Steelers and Eagles games and give them rest. But you know what? It's fine as it is. So before, before we go here, I do have one more question for you. Um, and it's a, it's in your stratosphere of, well, I guess two questions then, because the Australian open starts next week in tennis and I, in your sphere of college basketball, I have a question for you about what the hell is going on with the ACC. Cause Miami's won nine games in a row and they're beating Duke. And I saw wake forest is like fifth in the conference right now. And uh, Louisville's second in the conference right now. I thought Louisville wasn't going to be that good this year. And what what's happening right now in college basketball while I'm not paying attention to any of the games? Why is it just absolute chaos right now in the ACC? Well, let's start with Louisville. They're bad. They're not a very good basketball team. They have, they've had the weakest ACC schedule so far of anybody else. I believe they have been Boston College, Georgia Tech, Pittsburgh, uh, NC State. So let's just start with that. And then they finally get a test. They go to Tallahassee and get, you know, run out of the gym, run out of the gym by the, by the Seminoles on Saturday afternoon. So I've watched Louisville play. They did beat Wake Forest as well. So maybe it wasn't Boston College. Perhaps it was Wake Forest as the other team um, that they beat at home in a really good game two weeks ago. I think that Wake Forest has really improved. I think I think Wake Forest is a team that scores a lot of points, doesn't play great defense, but uh, they did get a transfer from Colorado. I can't remember his name. The center, he's a beast, and I think he'll make a big impact for the Demon Deacons. I, I think I think when Wake Forest is good, it's good for the ACC. You know, they are kind of uh, one of those teams in the ACC that you know. As, a, as an old-timer ACC guy, a guy that played college athletics in the ACC, um, Wake Forest was a big deal. They were a big rivalry. We had, we, you know, we're playing against the likes of Chris Ball at the time when I was in school and Tim Duncan right before I arrived at school. So there's a, a very rich history in Winston-Salem, and I'd like to see Wake kind of get back to it. Um, you know, Miami, to me, is really the, the story of the year in the ACC. They have no depth, Kyle. They, they play six guys. And uh, I have no idea how they beat Duke and, and, and Durham because I think Duke's really good. I think this is Coach K's best team in the last five years or so. Uh, fluke, fluky win for Miami, in my opinion. I, I think Miami will probably be one of those teams that is going to, you know, they'll be fine. They'll, they're a tournament team. They, they've established themselves as, you know, a team right now that that really have to fall off the rails to not make the NC2A tournament. But tonight, uh, Florida State's going to win that game in Tallahassee. They're going to beat up Miami. So I like Florida State in the money line uh, with Kentucky. That's actually one of my plays is going to be Kentucky and Florida State paired up on a money line parlay. But you know, I, I think it's it's very difficult. It's kind of like, I mean, I hate to repeat the same thing as I do over and over again with college sports. These guys are young. There's transfers, just like in football. You got to wait it out. College basketball, the same thing. I mean, you almost have to wait it out. Till January 28th to 31st, right in that in that range, 
to feel really good about laying big money on these teams because they don't know how to play together yet, these kids. And it takes a long time. And a lot of teams are taking off because of COVID. How many canceled games have there been? So your continuity is not there. Your rhythm is not there. And uh, that, that would be my, my, my analysis for the ACC. I think the best team in the conference is, is bar none Duke. They'll be fine. That was a weird loss against Miami. Other than Duke, um, I think Florida State's kind of good. They'll be there. Uh, nobody else really stands apart. Uh, from not Virginia? Duke. No, Virginia's not a good team. This is finally a team where defense can't win championships as it has over the last few years. Uh, Virginia got ran out of the gym in Chapel Hill over the weekend. I think they got that they, they got a pretty big loss when they traveled to Clemson, South Carolina, maybe six days ago. Uh, Virginia can't score the ball. Now, they never really could score, but they always had great defenders. Uh, this is finally a team where it's time for the Virginia Cavaliers to find offense eventually because they're, they're not going to win just on their defense. So uh, I got Virginia as a middle-of-the-road ACC team, maybe maybe on the bubble when we have bubble talk uh, seven weeks from now. But nope, not impressed with Virginia, not impressed with Carolina. Um, Miami's fine. Virginia Tech is okay. Uh, again, no, nobody really stands out. Syracuse, I mean, they've suffered some really bad losses this year. Pittsburgh is garbage. Georgia Tech is garbage. NC State is garbage. Is Notre Clemson's Dame any okay. good? No, Notre Dame is not very good. Um, They're undefeated at home, apparently. <laughs> well, they haven't. They, yeah, look who they beat. They did beat Carolina at home. That's a nice win. Uh, but they've beaten the likes of Georgia Tech. Pittsburgh so far those are the probably the two worst teams in the ACC but when Notre Dame plays Duke well listen I tell you what Notre Dame may end up being the three or four C when it when it when it all comes down when they compete in Greensboro Kyle but ACC is not good it doesn't matter I mean there's not this is a very weak conference the only conference to me that really just is incredible right now is the Big Ten um, you know, I think Wisconsin's really good. I think Illinois could be really good as the season progresses. They just have to, you know, figure things out, figure things out there. Michigan State's pretty good, too. Um, I, I think Michigan State's been a pleasant surprise for the Big Ten. Ohio State's been a pleasant surprise as well. And I think Michigan is is underperforming, but they'll be fine. So I think you have you have a good core of, of teams there. And, and even the Hawkeyes, Iowa's pretty good. You know, I, Iowa, you know, I know they got run out of the gym in Madison, but they, they've played pretty well this year, you know, at times, but uh, Big Ten's really solid. Uh, Big 12 has a couple good teams that scare me, but uh, the Big Ten should be the conference to be in the NCAA tournament as, as we get to March. And remember, if you want all of the analysis on college basketball in depth, once the Super Bowl ends, one of the episodes the week after is our let's get everyone up to date on college basketball. So we'll do that. What, like a month from now, I guess, is when the football season ends. It's a week later now. So I guess that's like the second or third week of February uh, that we'll get into all of the college basketball stuff. I just saw Miami was first place at five and oh, I just didn't understand that at all. So I appreciate the uh, the March Madness update. Uh, thanks again, Razor. This was a, a fun hour. Excited for Wild Card Weekend. And uh, I'm excited to see how all of this turns out with the gambling side of things because we, we I enjoy that expertise. And I know our fans enjoy the expertise. Our, our show last week was the most popular one of the entire week. So 
people very much enjoy the gambling expertise of one Razor Rosenthal from Beer Life Sports and Beer Life Official, which you can check out both with the links in the description to this episode. Well, I appreciate it, Kyle, and I appreciate all the listeners out there. I hope you take my my advice and bet it responsibly and enjoy the playoffs and don't neglect college basketball. Sometimes a no play is a good play, like Cincinnati Vegas possibly is a no play for me, but there's going to be a massive menu of college basketball on Saturday to choose from. So bet responsibly, bet smart, follow us at beerlife.com. We're excited to uh, have you check out our stuff. Have a great week ahead, Kyle. And again, next week, Australian Open. You can get Razor's picks on tennis because that is his by far expertise. So you can make money with Razor doing tennis picks next week. <laughs> they are coming. They are, we're ready to go. We are going down under five days from now. It is the Australian Open.